Isaac Shade here, co-host of the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Join Andy Patton and me every Monday as we break down all the buzzer-beating action, conference rivalry games, and need-to-know bubble matchups ahead of the NCAA tournament. Check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast every Monday, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Washington State's Kirk Schultz leading the Pac-2, 12, whatever you want to call it, is playing a dangerous game, but he has to. You are Locked On College Football, your daily podcast on all things college football. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On College Football. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view every day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the biggest stories in the greatest sport on planet Earth. College football realignment, college football recruiting, transfer portal, it's all right here on the show, which today is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, use code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. I was very right about something. We'll talk about that later as it pertains to Colorado. And your ability or the way in which you consume college football might be changing this year. And we'll talk about that with someone who knows a thing or two about television later in today's show. But we're starting today with Kurt Schultz, the president at Washington State. For all intents and purposes, the Pac-12 is dead. The Pac-12 is done. No one thinks about it anymore. It's a two-team league. Oregon State and Washington State are de facto college football independents as it pertains to 2024 and 2025, which I'm going to remind you once again, if you're an everydayer out there, are the only two years in which we have a designed set agreed upon structured playoff and media rights contract for just the next two years. And so Oregon State and Washington State, I think, are lining up to try and rebuild the Pac-12 with the best teams available in available and form the premier group of five conference in the country come 2026. And Washington State President Kirk Schultz is flexing what little muscle, might, power, and influence the Pac-12 currently has. Because though we think of it as a defunct dead conference, as a legal entity, it still exists. Because the NCAA has a two-year grace period if you fall under eight teams in your conference to rebuild back up. So this will be year one of said grace period. Next year will be year two. And then moves have to be made for the conference to either rebuild or just go away completely. But right now, the Pac-12, as it had under the previous arrangement, has got a seat on the college football playoff board. They're a voting member there. And the person who is occupying that seat is Washington State President Kirk Schultz. And the college football playoff committee, after the the dissolving of the Pac-12, wants to change the format. And they can't do it until Kirk Schultz votes in favor of doing so. Now, in two years, they can structure the playoff however they'd like, and it does not have to be a unanimous vote, but right now it does. And so Kirk Schultz is holding up a move that everybody, myself included, want to get done. Why would he do that? Why would he want to be an obstacle in the way of college football moving in a logical direction given the somewhat broken and messed up landscape that we have across the sport right now? Because he's trying to ensure that two years from now, Washington State and Oregon State As the governing members of the Pac-12, remember, they were given legal victories in the court, which was then 
reversed, but then re-reversed back into their favor to say that they're the only governing members of uh, of the Pac-12 board of directors. The 10 departing members then had to pay them some severance money because they left them behind in realignment and didn't bring them along and everybody else found a home and they did not. They are the only people who are going to decide what happens with the Pac-12. And so Kurt Schultz, the president of Washington State, is strong-arming the rest of the college football playoff board and saying, you are not going to get me to vote how you want to until you ensure me that we will continue to be funded at the Power 5 level and that we are given some financial guarantees, I'd imagine, that allow them to continue running their athletic departments as they had in the Pac-12 previously and that gives them an opportunity with the war chest that they were awarded in court this offseason to try and rebuild the Pac-12, whether that's paying exit fees or uh, media rights distribution, like whatever. There are lots of things that you need money for to run a conference, but to rebuild it, the Pac-12 certainly needs some money. They've already got some, and they want to be able to get more. Now, this is a dangerous game, but it's one that Washington State President Kirk Schultz, I think, is right to play. The, the reason it's a dangerous game is you are annoying, you are poking in the side in a very little brother-esque fashion. I say this as someone who is a little brother. You're just kind of jabbing them in the side. You're not powerful enough to strike a crushing blow. You can't raise your right hand, ball it up in a fist, and knock him out cold. But you can take a little stick and just kind of whack him on the side a little bit. And eventually he's going to say, okay, you're not actually hurting me. But I, I would really like you to stop doing that because it's highly irritating and I'm trying to get on with my day. So how do we make this stop? And the reason that's a dangerous game is Washington State and Oregon State are obviously not power players because they've been left behind in the world of college football and college athletics realignment writ large. Their non-revenue sports are going to compete in the West Coast Conference or Oregon State Baseball is going to be independent because they're a very powerful national brand in that sense and can put together their own schedule just fine. But those, those teams are in a position where they're playing in a weaker conference, albeit a solid one, but it's you know a mid-major slash group of five conference, however you want to phrase it. And so annoying, bothering, disrupting the desires of the actual power players could come back to bite Washington State and Oregon State. Because if in two years, the SEC and the Big Ten decide we're actually going to form this new playoff that has all these rules, they might not be inclined to do Washington State and Oregon State any favors whatsoever. Here is where I think Kirk Schultz is playing this correctly. What indication do those universities have that the power structures in the sport of college football had any inclination to do them any favors anyway? Let's say that the SEC and the Big Ten are thinking that this is completely hypothetical. I'm not reporting anything here. Let's say the SEC and the Big Ten are discussing, and it's not unreasonable to think this perhaps, are discussing the idea of a breakaway from college football and just starting the sport over do you think they would be inclined to bring everybody along for the ride? I don't get that sense. The moves to add the four West Coast schools to the Big Ten and SEC and Tex or in the SEC adding Texas and Oklahoma doesn't make me think they're super concerned about the little guys in the conference. What if the SEC and the Big Ten decide, well, we're going to go form our own thing and we're going to cut some weight along the way or we're going to leave X, Y, and Z conference or schools behind? What have we seen 
that would indicate those two conferences would have Oregon State and Washington State's best interests in mind. Those two universities have to act in their own best interests. They have to be on the offensive because there's no other option. They were relegated because of the way the Pac-12 was governed towards being reactionary, towards relying on other people. Guess what? It didn't go very well for them. There has been zero indication that any of the other power conferences, who could have brought them along, by the way. I mean, Florida State, for goodness sake, cited Oregon State in their lawsuit as a school that should have been added because that's what realignment should be about is adding quality football programs. But presidents vote on realignment, not athletic directors or head coaches, though certainly they might have a say here and there. But I digress. Oregon State and Washington State were looked at by the four conferences that we're deeming the power four, when it's really the power two and the next two, and everyone said, the Big 12, the ACC, looked at Oregon State and Washington State and said, we don't want you. The ACC said, we would rather have SMU that hasn't taken a snap in a conference of power five football. We'd rather have them than Oregon State or Washington State. But Kirk Schultz should kowtow to those people he should say well we better be nice to them or they might be mean to us what exactly can they do to them that they haven't already done it stinks for those schools you have to make make lemonade out of lemons as best you can even if it's still pretty sour i like sour lemonade on a side note but in this particular metaphor you have to make the best of what you've got and the best situation for the Pac-2 right now is to work to try to rebuild and add the best schools from the Mountain West and the best schools you can from the American and form a Super G5 conference and, th- and hope that the 12-team playoff remains and that your conference champion will have a great shot at getting into that playoff every single year. That's the best path forward. And that's what Kirk Schultz is doing here. That's why he is a thorn in the side for the playoff that wants to go from a 6-plus-6 six to a five plus seven when you're talking about automatic qualifiers versus at-large bids. That's what he's doing. I completely understand why, and this is not done playing out. Coming up next, I, I, was, I was right. I was very right. And sometimes I'm wrong, and I tell you when I am very wrong, because sometimes I'm wrong. It happens. But in this particular instance, as we head to Boulder, I was very right. Today's episode of Locked On College Football is brought to you by Game Time. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. And right now, all users get $100 off when they buy a big game ticket with code VEGAS100. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Game Time's the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. See the view from your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. All-in prices show your total up front so you know you're getting a great deal before you check out, and you can buy tickets in seconds with just two taps. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Right now, all Game Time users get $100 off a big game ticket with code VEGAS100. Terms apply. Just download the Game Time app. Use code VEGAS100. That's Vegas100 for $100 off a big game ticket. Or if you're not going to the game, use code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase, whatever it may be. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. 
March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Joining me now here on Locked On College Football, Kevin Borba, Locked On Buffs. And I am feeling validated, vindicated today. Couple of great V words. I'll put up the Winston Churchill V for victory here. Because every dayers are aware of this, but for those who are not, uh, allow me to bring you up to speed why I am so gleeful on this particular hump day. Colorado's win total was one of just two in all of college football posted in uh, the month of January. That was Alabama. The other Colorado's was posted at four and a half. And I came on this very show after looking at what Colorado did last year, the conference they're going to and the offseason that they have had so far. Now, I'd like them to get a defensive coordinator, but I looked at all of those factors and said, um, four and a half is the win total. Hammer the over. Ham- I was pounding my fist right here on the table, metaphorically, because that'd be distracting and I don't want to break my desk here. But I was saying go over four and a half. And what do you know? What do you know? For the second year in a row, I have demonstrated my mythical powers of influence on the sports books because according to our good friends at FanDuel, proud sponsor here at the Locked On Network, Colorado's win total is up to five and a half because they have seen what I have seen, which is that Colorado is way more likely to win more than four and a half games than less than four and a half games. And that was not the right spot. I think five and a half is a lot closer. I'd still lean the over, but it's certainly more competitive now. Kevin Borber of Locked On Buffs, your reaction to that move by the Vegas markets? Yeah, I think the Vegas market realizes that Colorado's bolstered their roster in a big way. Um, they coach prime all year. We we criticized and we said the offensive line sucks. The defensive line couldn't stop the run to save their lives. I don't know if they'd be able to stop you running through the hole, Spencer. You'd probably get at least sixty yards on the game <laughs> against that defensive line. Like they had, they had issues in the trenches, and Coach Prime went out and he brought in five starters on the offensive line. He has two guys that transferred in last year that were injured, so he has those two, and then he also has. Uh, the five-star Jordan Seaton. So they have a bunch of new linemen on offense. They brought in four guys, five guys on the defensive line who were quality starters. Uh, one of them was an all-pack 12 player. One of them had five sacks at Pitt. Like, they brought in dudes. They brought in guys with Big 12 experience. Like, if this isn't the first year where they were just bringing in guys who wanted to be a part of that Louis luggage. They're bringing in quality players, and I think the odds makers kind of saw that, and it's hard not to, and of all times, not to have a defensive coordinator right now during conditioning would be the best time. Um, it's not ideal for face, uh, but I guess you don't really need one right now because you can't uh, work with the team anyway um, in, in most cases. But yeah, I think Colorado has a very favorable schedule at the beginning of the year. Um, at the end of the year, it's a little scary, but they're in a worse conference. Um, they have a better team and it's Coach Prime. He improves every year. We saw it at Jackson State. They went 4-3, and 11-2, and 12-1. So he has a track record of taking that next step. So I think it's the right decision. I, I think that when you look at what Colorado can do this year, no, I don't expect them to be a Big 12 contender. Although, I'll, I'll throw this out there just as an example. Last year in the Pac-12, RIP, Arizona had a win total of 4.5 and, and had Oregon State beaten Oregon 
at Autzen Stadium the last week of the regular season, you know who would have played for the Pac-12 championship? It would have been Arizona. So I've seen teams with a win total lower than four and a half be on the cusp of contending for a conference title. I feel like that's where Colorado's ceiling is probably at, getting close, but maybe not quite being there. I don't know that I could rule it out, though, because as we've talked about, and I want to get into a couple of names here from this transfer portal class with you, and, and then you know Jordan Seaton makes, probably makes an impact as well in his first year on campus. You've got an NFL quarterback. You've got an NFL receiver slash defensive back who's probably a DB in the NFL, but still a plus wide receiver. You've got a couple of other good weapons we saw a year ago. Colorado struggled at the line of scrimmage. And, and what I want to see from coaches and programs in the offseason to make me feel good about their chances to improve the following year is don't just address your weakness, attack your weakness. And Coach Prime said during the middle of last season, yeah, I got to paint this picture and I'm going to paint it beautifully. Well, he's starting to paint a pretty good picture. Colorado's got a top five transfer portal class and it's mostly guys in the trenches. Who are those players that are going to make an impact for the Buffs next year? and give Shador Sanders an actual chance to be a really good quarterback, which he is. Yeah, I think you look at Tyler Johnson, um, Houston offensive line transfer, started his career at Texas, never really found his momentum. There was a lot of just issues um, during the Tom Herman era, we'll call it. It was just not what it needed to be. Transferred to Houston and was a really good player for the for the Cougars. All these offensive linemen, we're just going to circle them all um, because I think combined they gave up like, I want to say it's like eight sacks or something like it was like one sack per guy. Maybe one guy gave up two or three last year. They gave up 56 as a unit. So if these guys could come in and if they give up 20, that's still going to be 36 less sacks than the year before, which is an absurd number. If they just cut it in half, right? Just be average. Just, just be average. cut it in half. Just be average. So we'll circle the whole offensive line there. Um, the, the name to know on the defense line for me is Samuel Okunalola. I always feel like I'm saying it wrong. So I can Lola. I call him Samuel O on my show just because I'm not that coordinated uh, linguistically. Um, but he had five sacks for Pitt last year. Um, and I think that's the kind of experience that Colorado needed. They need to get to the quarterback. They need to pressure the quarterback. And that's also something that they were not able to do a ton. And then this guy, you're quite familiar with him. Um, BJ Green from Arizona State, an all Pac 12 uh, conference player. I think it was second team all Pac 12. He also had five sacks and he was someone who switched positions. He has a relationship with Coach Prime already. Uh, Coach Prime coached him when he was uh, a youth. And so that's another guy on the defensive line. And then and we're going to go skill position because we got to go at least one sk skill position guy. Uh, I'm looking at Will Shepard. He's the Vanderbilt wide receiver. Um, from what I've heard, Obviously, he has the big numbers at Vanderbilt, which, I mean, Vanderbilt's a bad football team. They're Gamble, still playing in the SEC. SEC experience. He had over 1,000 yards. He's six foot four, And you kind of just plug him into that Xavier Weaver role, who is off in the NFL now. And so I think their wide receiver room got better. Um, they also got LeJonte Wester, who was second in the country in catches. So they have a lot of talented guys. And I really think the big difference between this portal class and last year's is last year's kind of felt like, who wants to come to Colorado? And then this year they felt a little more selective and it was like, we're going to pick who we want to come to Colorado. Last year was who wants to go. This year is who needs to go. Right. And these are guys who need to go. And you, you talk about the offensive line. I, I think Shador Sanders is so used to being under pressure. Again, I'm not looking for a Joe Moore Award finalist here. Right. If they're just a middle of the Big 12, maybe even pushing on top half, but if they're just towards the middle – Colorado is a better team. And the B.J. Green snag out of the transfer portal from ASU 
That's a fantastic addition for whoever ends up being the defensive coordinator. Now, that's the next step, and and I'll get you out of here on this, Kevin. Who do you think that's going to be? Any insider update there? Yeah, that's the hard part. I honestly thought it was going to be a guy like the the Atlanta Falcons new coach, and then he gets hired as the Falcons coach, and uh, Raheem. And I was like, okay, Coach Prime was hinting at NFL guys, and so he was like, I'm going to wait till the playoffs are over because so that automatically in my head, I'm like, okay, so it's an NFL probably position coach. And now I don't really see who it could be with the chiefs or the 49ers. So I think that makes it difficult. Uh, I think he was hopeful to land someone that has already gone. And I honestly thought he'd probably go on his own staff and just go with Mike Zimmer. Um, He's a former NFL head coach. He has the coaching experience. He has coach prime experience, which I don't think people realize maybe how difficult it could be to work with so many um, headstrong individuals. Um, Obviously we saw that last year with Sean Lewis as well. So I thought he'd go Zimmer, and then obviously Zimmer's still in the room, and it's not really looking like it's him. So it's going to be a mystery. And there's some special announcement. I don't know when this was releasing on February 7th at 10 p.m. or 10 a.m. Mountain Time. Uh, could be uniforms, could be the defensive coordinator. So I would say stay tuned for that. I will have a a quick episode about that. Whatever it is, hopefully it's a coordinator. So I could. I made a list of like 10 names, and I think every week I lost like two names. Um, the only. <laughs> The only names that remained from my list was like Charlie Strong um, and there was someone else, but all of them have taken other jobs elsewhere. So it's hard to tell. (laughs) Kevin Barba, Locked on Buffs. Great stuff. Thanks so much for stopping by. Thanks for having me. Your college football viewing experience could be changing this fall in a pretty big way. We're going to talk about that after, of course. We talk about FanDuel because FanDuel is America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which player will score, score a touchdown how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers join today, and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. It's that simple. Just join FanDuel.com, visit FanDuel.com, rather, slash locked on to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to get all of the gambling fix you got satisfied over there. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Joining me now here on Locked On College Football, former president of Fox Sports, Bob Thompson. Bob, great to have you here on the show. Let's hop right into it. So there's this new announcement that could change the way that fans view and consume college football as soon as next year is kind of how it seems. Warner Brothers, Fox, and ESPN announced a mutual deal to put together their own streaming service that will have a variety of sports on it, major sports on it. What do you make of this announcement? Well, I think it's a kind of a next step in the evolution of streaming product. You know, we've seen the standalone streaming products such as ESPN Plus. Now what you have is basically a bundle, let, let you know, a skinny bundle in that you're going to have the Fox services. So Fox, FS1, FS2, Big Ten Network, all the ESPN services. So from ESPN, ESPN2 through news and I assume SEC, ACC networks as well. And when with Warner Brothers Discovery, certainly the, the content or the channels, uh, the linear networks, uh, TNT and TBS, all bundled into a single offering uh, that's got to be, I mean, if they were talking 25, 30 bucks for ESPN, 
the linear feed as a standalone direct to consumer product, this is going to have to be north of that. But I think for sports fans who want to maybe escape the bundle of cable TV or satellite, whatever, this is finally a, you know, a, a very robust sports option that'll be available to you on the direct consumer streaming market. So what one issue that that I've found just as a consumer of college football watching all of these events in the streaming world is you can't always watch everything you want to because it's on this network or or that channel or you have to hop over here and it's not easy to flip channels like it was when I was a kid which was you just press guide you scroll down and you go to the next channel unless you have something like YouTube TV if you're streaming heavy that element is complicated how do you think this impacts the the viewing product that people are able to enjoy as it pertains to to college football but other sports as well do you think this makes it easier to consolidate these entities into one place i would i would think so um you know what you're describing is is a common <laughs> problems for for the you know uh those of us who grew up channel surfing and just hitting buttons after buttons this whole idea of leaving one app going to another app finding the right tile within that app and getting there, you know, it's just, it's clunky as, as I call it. It's not a very elegant solution. I think with all of these being in the same, on, within the same platform or the same app, uh, it should be a lot easier to navigate. Um, I could see a, you know, similar to what you see on ESPN plus, but with a section for Fox, a section for, you know, FS1, a section for TNT, section for TBS, or it's just going to be uh, program tiles like you'll see. And you just, you, you know, like you see on Google, uh, YouTube TV, things like that. You just, it's less guide driven and it's more tile driven and you just pop around from those here and there. And so and you got to have to use your, you know, reverse button and your forward button a little more, a little more quickly. But I think it's a good solution for those of us who you know grew up uh, surfing uh, the, the the linear networks, we, we don't have all the details of it quite yet. But ba based on what you know, we expect it to be, and, and what we do know about this this massive streaming entity right now, it does kind of feel. And you alluded to this like it used to be on linear television, where you just scroll or you go from one channel to to the next is that the the intent here to kind of go back towards a model like that like why would espn espn which is invested in the sec fox which is invested in the big 10 and and then warner brothers as well why would those entities come together and say we want to put sports all in one place well i think they they've realized that they have to have a product for the streaming market and a product that is easy to understand. And certainly the sports fans are gonna be able to get the fact that this is sports and you're gonna get all the sports on all these channels in one spot and you're gonna pay one fee. You know, it's not the a la carte menu approach. You're buying the combo platter and uh, you're gonna get, you know, multiple networks sports all in one spot. You're gonna pay for it obviously but for those who want to potentially, you know, get out of the uh, linear TV bundles of a cable operator or a satellite operator, you know, this would be, this is your sports solution. Granted, you're probably going to have to have Peacock and Paramount Plus to cover everything, 
but if you're not interested in in a bundle you know through the typical linear distributors this is a good situation you know it's it's interesting that there is a similar product in australia and it's fox and it's espn and i think somebody else is in there maybe 10 network or somebody like that it's called ko sports k-a-y-o and they do the exact same thing all their sports offered through this singular streaming service and I, you know, I assume this is somewhat uh, modeled upon that. It almost sounds like a, a semi-return to the linear television model that a lot of people are are accustomed to, but but kind of siphoning off the the overcharges or payments that you inherently had with a cable bundle because you pay for. You know, if you primarily watch as I did as a kid, ESPN, Fox, CBS, NBC, the major networks and where the sports are, you're also paying in the cable subscription, or at least it was my parents paying, of course, when I was a kid. But when, when you're, you're paying for TLC, you're paying for FX, you're paying for Food Network, the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, everything. Is this almost a way to make that sports delivery process more efficient than cable television used to be? Well, you know, I could flip that around and say that that the, the folks watching TLC and, and, and those channels <laughs> were probably subsidizing you more than you were subsidizing them, given the, the cost of sports and the cost of the sports channels relative to those other channels you mentioned. But but in a way, yes, you're right, because the as the prices have, have ballooned and you're paying 90, 100, 110 bucks just for your offerings, you know, if you could strip it out and say pay 30, 40 bucks for all the sports you need or want, or maybe you got to add Peacock for six bucks and maybe you got to add Paramount plus for another five bucks, but you've got everything. Um, it's, you know, you've, you've uh, skinnied your bundle significantly and you've also skinnied your price significantly, which is what, you know, which is what everybody's trying to, to capture is make sure that viewers still have the ability and don't just go away from the product entirely, which is, certainly the legacy media companies' concerns that sooner or later the bundle on cable and satellite is going to die and they're going to be sitting here going, okay, what do we do now? This is, this gets them to that next era and also, you know, gets them to those people who, you know, unlike you and me, have never had cable before, you know, they just never were, were, were caught up in that bundle. They've just been, you know, streamers, their whole, their whole existence or, you know, YouTube surfers. Right. And that's a bizarre concept to me. But there are a lot of people probably listening to or watching the show that have never had cable TV before and know how that that sort of thing works, because it's just the, the, the streaming world here. But last thing I, I want to ask you about is that this move is what came out of left field. I don't think anybody was anticipating this. At least that's what uh, the reactions were for from guys like Andrew Marchand over over at The Athletic who reported this. And there were a number of other people as well who felt surprised by the move. Do you think it's the last move? And do you think anybody else will get involved in this space? Do you think you know, with this package, could Amazon or Apple try to get some games in there as a part of the package to put on to introduce or promote their content or anything like that? Do you think there are going to be other moves like it that transpire as a result? Well, I've been saying for a while that there's going to be some consolidation in the streaming world. You know, the, the individuals couldn't continue on losing as much money as they are. I think one of the other reasons, though, that this move was made was to combat the potential of what Apple and what Amazon Prime Video are doing and, and kind of set up a, a, a barrier between the legacy media companies now getting into streaming and what the big tech companies are doing. So I, I don't know that it's the last 
deal that or the last you know shoe to fall in this in this with this structure or this entity uh it's possible that others come in i'd be surprised if it was any of the big tech guys at this point uh, but i still think there's going to be some more consolidation uh in the space uh going forward it's got to yeah, that's certainly the way it feels because most streamers struggle to to make money or be a productive entity for a, a company no matter what it is and i I think that uh, that you're on the right track there. But we brought him on for a reason. Bob Thompson, former president of Fox Sports. Thanks for stopping by. Appreciate the time. My pleasure. Thanks, Spencer. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.